This episode is brought to you by the Nordstick, the number one way to train your hamstrings anywhere at any time. The number one injury burden in the game of soccer is, you guessed it, hamstring injury. What better way to prevent this than using the Nordstick? From endless Nordic curl variations for your hamstrings, to other lower body exercises, to even upper body and core exercises, you name your goal and the Nordstick can help you get there. Use the link in the description to learn more and get 10% off. Once again, use the link in this episode's description for 10% off. What is up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It's me, your co-host, Andy, with my main man, Sebastian. Sebastian, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing well, man. Happy to be back. Happy to be back at it. Just uh, had a little trip across the pond, as they say. Um, great time, man. How have you been? I'm doing good, man. Chilling, chilling. But, uh, I mean, your, your trip across the pond, I mean, that that's crazy. Today's episode is, is all about that, right? What conference were you at? Tell the people, give a little bit of background as to what you were doing over there. So I was at the 30th Isokinetic Conference. Isokinetic Conference is like the football medicine conference. It's, um, like the FIFA medical conference, if you will, um, bunch of medical professionals that are involved in soccer around the world go meet up at this and it's like all the smartest people in soccer medicine are there and lecturing debating talking about it giving presentations it was really cool listening to some of these genius people i would say um kind of talk about like what they do the teams they work with the players they work with and honestly if you are a medical professional in soccer i highly recommend Mm. Yeah, it, I don't think we can uh, understate the amount of people that are there are just like pure geniuses, like straight up, like, man, you like, I don't know if you're religious, but like God made you to like help the field of football medicine and performance, like get better. Like yeah. these people, they are, they are insanely intelligent. The um, people that do research are crazy, like. They're not. I could never. I love. I love learning what they learn, but like y'all got it first, you know. Like you guys can. You guys do it, and just let me know what you find. Yeah, and I mean, it, it takes a lot of you know a lot of respect to be able to execute research at a high level, just because it's so hard. And I mean, some of these people they work full time and like doing research. They come home and then do research, and it's like, man, I, I got a lot of respect for y'all and you know everything that you do to make our feel better. Agreed. Maybe uh maybe some sponsors can ship us out there next year. Oh, maybe. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> but um yeah, today's episode uh it, it's all about, you know, your key takeaways. You, you had a few really good key takeaways that um it'd be great to to share with everybody who who couldn't, you know, hop across the pond and and go over. Um what do you got for us? I mean, what were some of the biggest things that you that you took away from Isokinetic? So as far as like my takeaways went, it wasn't like one specific um, lecture. It wasn't one specific surgical technique, anything like that. Um, more like the general things I found based on the different um, lectures, talks, debates I went to. First one that really, really came to mind with a lot of what I, I treat, a lot of what I see here is that it's really tough deciding when you're working with professional athletes if surgery is necessary or wanted after a meniscus or an ACL injury. So 
I was listening to a debate about this. I was there for it. And one of the physicians, he's a physician for a uh, former Premier League team and now a, uh, a championship team. And he was talking about how, honestly, a lot of the times, like with these players, if it's just an ACL straight up injury, like he wouldn't really recommend them to get a surgery. But you have a lot of the times it's just it's assumed that it's needed. Like you, you automatically think like, oh, ACL injury, surgery, bam. And most of the time it'll happen anyway, because you essentially take a risk when you don't get surgery of like, if just rehab without surgery doesn't work out six months down the line, you lost six months. And if you're a team owner, manager, your job's on the line, or if you're a manager, or if you're the owner, that's an investment having a player on this team. So if you pay someone for six months to get rehab, it doesn't work out and they still need surgery, bam, like you just essentially like paid someone for six months to be there rehabbing and it didn't work out. Um, and now they got to start over and they got at least nine months to go. Um, similar with meniscus injuries, it's a little bit, a little bit less black and white with, with meniscus injuries. And we, we know that, right? Cause, um, some meniscus injuries, um, you could literally have no symptoms. Some people, you might have a lot, a lot of symptoms going on and like a surgery is warranted to actually repair it. Um, lots of, discussion on whether it should be a meniscectomy or it should be a repair and i mean that those are debates we've been having for a long time anyway like not even like arguing which one you should do but it's like is one better than the other like what are the ramifications down the line so i guess my takeaway from this was that like even people that are working with like the best of the best around the world like they are not always 100 percent sure of what should be done in these specific situations because yes you have a professional athlete who you need to perform right away but at the same time you have a human being in front of you that still wants to age into their 50s 60s 70s 80s and have a good function yeah and i i think one of the, the things that's tricky about surgical versus non-surgical is i mean for for meniscus that debate has been happening for for multiple years now um with with the ACL, I feel like that debate is becoming more and more common. Um, not to say it's commonplace yet, but it's definitely starting to you know, pop up a little bit more of, are you a coper? Are you not a coper? Are you able to, you know, play on it? And, you know, why do you play, right? Are you playing because you're 33, 34, and, you know, it's your last season and you want to play as much as you can? Or are you playing because you're 16, 17, looking for a, a collegiate scholarship? Um, it, every situation is different. But I think now as these more come to light, it turns into, okay, what's the best option for me? But I feel like as you go up, there's like more and more layers, right? Of what's best for my team, what's best for my family, what's best for my agent, what's best for, you know, maybe you're a pro player, what's best for my legacy and things like that. It gets, it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Hey man, so it's tough. I um, I, I think I know firsthand working with a couple of players that have tried non-surgical approaches, and even then, like it's fifty-fifty. I've had somebody who didn't have a great time for a while, and then they were like, you know, I'm just gonna keep trying for a bit, and then three months down the line, they were playing, no instability. like i was like perfect like i love this yeah yeah. but there's just like no specific way on how to know who's going to be a coper who's not all the time so like that was just key takeaway for me man like 
we don't know, and it's it's really tough to decide. And it was good on my end to know that these super smart people that are working with the best of the best also have a tough time deciding. Yeah, and you know, I I think it gives us a little bit of hope for people. Like, I mean, we've definitely both worked with people where it's like torn ACL, torn meniscus, whatever. Like, whatever it is, surgery is just not an option right now. Like, maybe I'm about to have a kid or. I work a job and I'm out of sick days and, you know, my, my job is based off of physical labor. Like there are people where, you know, it's simply not an option to, to get surgery, but at least now with these more, you know, conversations, debates going on, we can at least present these options to our our patients and people we work with. Yes, sir. And so with that, um, we'll go on to my second takeaway. And we, we kind of talked about this already, but I was just almost overwhelmed by how many just incredibly smart people are there that are working on trying to solve the problems that our injured athletes are trying to get through. And not even just injuries, like on how to perform better. Like, how do you reduce the risk of a hamstring injury, of an adductor, groin injury, um, so that instead of being available 75% of the time, a player is available 90 to 100% of the time. Um, how how can we maximize a player's efficiency to, so that they can play a full 90 minutes instead of like getting really fatigued at 70 minutes? I found it like like enlightening, really encouraging to see that people are like working on these things, the same problems that like players come to us with. That we 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 know how to maximize these things to the best of our ability, but there are people that are continuing to do research on how to take it to the next level and to know that this information is like going to be available for us as soon as they know the answer, we'll know the answer. Just super encouraging to be there for that. Yeah. It's again, these people, they're, they're so smart. They're so dedicated and every problem that we think of, they've already started the research on it five to 10 years ago. And even if we don't see it on, PubMed or JOSPT, whatever, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And if you, if it's not coming, then somebody's thinking of it and somebody's fighting to make that, that opportunity happen to, to learn as much as we can about literally everything, everything underneath the sun, because as obsessed as players are out there about, you know, playing soccer, as obsessed as managers are about being the best X's and O's that they can get. Like medical people and performance people, we want the same. Like we want to be the best. And uh, research for us is is a big part of that, of how to drive the field forward. Yes, sir. Exactly. Um, I got nothing to add to that. So with that being said, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one as a side hustle, or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than Team Builder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, Team Builder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing risk of injury. 
head over to teambuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started. VTruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy-to-use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about VTruve today. Okay, we are back on the soccer fitness experience. Sebastian, what's what's your final takeaway that you learned from this conference? And we got a little bit of a bonus, so um, stick around <laughs> for that. But, you know, so, what else did you take away? Yeah, so other other main takeaway is just that on top of having all these ridiculously smart, smart people working, um, the main theme I heard from every single person that was talking, debating, presenting, is that they don't make decisions on their own. Like It is never just one physio. It is never one team physician. It is never one surgeon. Um, it's not even just the player, right? Like it, It's a whole team of people that come together to make decisions on what to do when someone has an injury or on how to perform better. Um, when you have a player, say they have a, a knee injury, they might, that want, might want that surgery, but they're team physician then has to talk to the surgeon, right? The surgeon might not be the team physician that they also will want to talk to the physios like, okay, like what is, what's the likelihood they can be a Cobra? Um, they're going to talk to the manager. Like, okay, like if ideally we wait nine months, let them do proper rehab manager might be like, if I can get him back for this one game, it'll like literally make our season. If he can get back for like that championship playoff and help us win that 200 million pound game that they have, over there, like all, all those things matter, and then after, aside from that, you, you then have the player's family. You have a spouse. They might have kids. Might have parents. People relying on them to bring in the income in order to pay rent, mortgage, whatever it is. Um, so, I really love that all of the people presenting acknowledged that all of those decisions were made by like a big group of people, and it was never just one person deciding what to do. <clears throat> I think the takeaway from that from our listeners is even if, you know, you're a, a academy player or a semi-pro player or just a rec player, um, you'll, you'll have multiple people in your corner to help you make decisions too. And it, it's always important to advocate for yourself to make sure those people connect, right? Because um, at the pro level, obviously, your doctors, your physios, everybody's always on the same page. They talk every day, yada, yada, yada. But as you kind of trickle down the pyramid, that sadly doesn't always happen. Um, so you can always advocate for yourself. And, you know, maybe if you're at the doctor's office, be like, hey, can you chat with my PT? Or if you're at your PT, be like, hey, can you chat with my fitness coach and, and things like that? Because one of the biggest things that can really impact the health and performance of a player that people don't really realize is communication between parties. And if you can't communicate, you can't really help each other make decisions. Yes, sir. Exactly. Well put. Um, with that being said, bonus round. My last takeaway for all you soccer players, physios, medical professionals, get yourself to London, get yourself to Europe. It was sick. 
Oh, it was so cool. Let, let me tell you a little bit what I what yeah, I did. Tell, all us, tell us, so tell I us, tell us. I stayed um just south of like central London, right? So first day I'm there, I'm not at the conference, but I, I go on a, like a four mile run and I go to Stalhurst Park, Crystal Palace Stadium. I just like go tour around the outside, just like walk around, check it out. I'm like cool, like I never I in Atlanta, sure, like maybe I could run to Mercedes Benz, but like why would I want to do that? Um, yeah. Plus, it's like further than that. Couple days down the road, I'm done. I'm just about wrapping up with the conference. Conference ends a little bit early for me that day, um, and I end up going to Chelsea. And then from there, I like I just walk around the Chelsea Stadium. I took the train there, but from there, it's a two mile walk, not even two mile walk, to Craven Cottage, the Fulham Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is sick. Like these two these two stadiums are always full whenever you're watching a Premier League match. Like all the fans like literally live like right next to each other. Um, it it's so fun like it's like imagining like new york city like every borough having a team that like matters it's imagining mm-hmm. me being in atlanta like having like decatur have a team sandy springs have a team midtown have a team and like all competitive and like all could potentially play at the same highest level um and i could walk everywhere and take public public transit anywhere like all the people in like new york city chicago like you guys live the good life you guys can get places um without a car but it was so cool being there like Easy public transit. You could walk everywhere. I think I walked like 10 to 12 miles every single day just checking the city out. And wow. London's like not the only place like that in Europe. Like going to Spain last year, it was very similar. As long as you're in the city, you can get around very easily. So mm-hmm. highly recommend. I, I wish and I hope that one day we'll be in a place where that's a uh, significant reality. It, it's, I mean, trust me. Orlando has no comparison to London or Madrid or, you know, any place, you know, that has multiple stadiums. But the happiness and joy and true community you get watching a team that you can literally walk to their stadium, it's it's unparalleled. It's unrivaled. And I think that's what, you know, that's when a club becomes a club where it's like, yeah, like I literally grew up next to the stadium. Why else would I support anywhere else? Because they're playing, you know, 800 meters from my house. Like, what do you expect me to do? You know, like it's it's incredible, you know, and that it's it's true community, really. Yeah, so it was like just sick to experience it firsthand and like be there for it. Um, hopefully next time I go, I get to catch a game. Yeah, I mean, we, at first we were we were uh, when we were chatting a few months back, we we're like, oh, final game of the season, Arsenal. Let's. Yeah, know, well, it was it was impossible to get tickets. Like, I, I knew some people, and I knew some people that worked like for the team, and like they could barely get tickets for their own family, like let alone get oh, me wow. a ticket. Like everything was just sold out. Wow, 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 yeah. wow! It's because Arsenal has you know best following in England. So yeah, did you did you go by the stadium at all? Oh yeah, I toured the stadium. I forgot to mention. Oh, I toured, I toured okay. the stadium, walked around Highbury, checked out Highbury grounds. Really? How is yeah. it? Because I saw pictures of the apartments around there the other it's day. It's cool. It I mean, sick. I didn't go inside, but like, it, it was really cool walking around it. Really? Um, wow. They just incredible. made a whole stadium into like just condos and apartments and flats, I guess, as they call them. Yeah, that's oh, London's a London's a great place. I, I'm actually going to uh, Montreal later this summer. And I heard it's got – I went there last time when I was like 13, so I don't really remember too much. But I heard it has a very European vibe as well, so that should be interesting. Yeah, man. Hope it's fun. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank y'all for listening, and we'll catch y'all next week. Again, make sure you share this episode with a teammate, with a friend, with a coach, with anybody you think could, you know, gain value from this episode, and we'll see y'all next week. Peace.